0: Years before, the name Elick Murdoch was splashed across every major media outlet. I was a local South Carolina journalist, and I had an instinct that something wasn't right in the Lowcountry. The powerful Murdoch dynasty dominated rural South Carolina for generations. Few dared to publicly utter a harsh word against them. From the newsroom to the courtroom to the kitchen table where we recorded the number one global hit, the Murdoch Murders podcast, I invite you to learn more about my new book, Blood on Their Hands. Blood on Their Hands gives readers an exclusive inside look into the Murdoch saga and its sinister web of deceit, theft, and murder. I share the challenges of reporting on the many heartbreaking cases involved while pursuing justice for the victims and their families. Click the link in the description to pre-order today. Visit any retailers near you when it releases November 14th, 2023, or visit lunasharkmedia.com book to learn the best way you can stay pesky and stay in the sunlight.
1: I think I know who killed Mallory Beach. And the more that I find out about what happened in the first few hours of the investigation, the more I'm disturbed with our criminal justice system. I think several things went wrong in the criminal investigation after her death, but I want you to listen to the facts of the case and decide for yourself. My name is Mandy Matney. I'm the news director at Fitznews.com. I have been investigating the Murdoch family for more than two years now. And this is the Murdoch Murders Podcast. So before I get into this week's episode, I want to say thank you for all of the support. We have well over 100,000 listens and more than 60,000 downloads in just four episodes, which is incredible, so thank you. But some of you, especially some on Facebook, have not been so supportive. So this podcast is produced by my fiancé and I in our free time. But I get my salary from Fitz News, and my job as news director will always be my first priority. The news I'm reporting on this podcast is only possible because of my job at Fitznews, which is supported by our subscribers. Investigative journalism is expensive, and we need subscribers to support our work. It is not cool to copy a journalist's entire exclusive story and post that story to a sleuth group on Facebook. I work really hard on these stories, and copying and pasting my work only hurts me in the company that I work for. The news industry is broken right now. And a big reason for that is because people refuse to pay for news online. Sharing the link is totally fine. Just don't screenshot or copy and paste every single word of the story and paste that into Facebook. So I will say this again, for the latest updates in this case, subscribe to fitsnews.com, F-I-T-S news.com. It's less than a Netflix subscription and your money goes a long way. So thank you again to all of our subscribers. In the last episode of the Murdoch Murders podcast, we left you on several cliffhangers in the Stephen Smith case. But in the last few days, huge news broke in the Mallory Beach investigation, and we think it's important to dedicate this week's episode to the boat crash investigation. I made this podcast so that people could get a better understanding of the current news surrounding this national news saga, because I understand just how complicated the story is, and I want to help guide you through the twists and turns before jumping to conclusions. So on Friday, July 16th, the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources, also known as SEDNR, released hundreds of documents and several video clips in the 2019 boat crash investigation. So for a recap, on February 24, 2019, Paul Murdoch allegedly crashed a 17-foot center console fishing boat into a piling just outside of Parris Island, South Carolina. 19-year-old Mallory Beach was ejected in that crash. Her body was found a week later. In the third episode on Archer's Creek Part 1, we told you about the information that was released in the investigation mostly through depositions in the civil lawsuit filed by Beach's mother. If this is your first time on this podcast, please go back and listen to that episode so this episode makes a lot more sense. On Friday, the giant file released by SEDNR included chilling videos that show surveillance footage of Mallory Beach, Paul Murdoch, and four of their friends in the last hour of Mallory Beach's life. You can see these videos compiled together on our new Murdoch Murders YouTube channel, and we'll also be releasing the podcast on that channel too, so stay tuned. In this episode, we're going to go through all of the new information in the case. Let's go back to the beginning on February 23rd, 2019, which was date night for Paul Murdoch, his girlfriend at the time, her two best friends, and their boyfriends. Newly released video shows Paul Murdoch, was a small 19-year-old, purchased beer and white claws from Parker's gas station in Ridgeland, South Carolina, around 5.30 p.m. on February 23rd. Paul fidgets as he's buying the booze. According to court documents, he was using his brother Buster's ID. While Buster had red hair like Paul. Buster was about 60 pounds heavier and 7 inches taller. But the ID works. After he illegally purchases the alcohol, Paul Murdoch heads to the parking lot, where he raises his boxes of booze in the air, signaling victory to his friends waiting for him. Around 6.30 p.m., the friends meet at the Murdoch River home, which is owned by Paul's grandfather, Randolph Murdoch, before they leave in Paul's father's boat and head to an oyster roast. Around 8 p.m., the six friends arrive at the home of Christy Woods for an oyster roast. In her statement to police, she said she only served water and lemonade at the oyster roast. While at the Woods' home, the three young couples consumed the alcohol that they stored on the boat, according to depositions. Several adults at the party and Mallory Beach's boyfriend, Anthony Cook, who was the oldest in the group, suggested that the group get an Uber because of the alcohol that they consumed. Christy told police that she offered for them to stay because it was cold outside. It was about 60 degrees, which is not pleasant, on the water at night. Paul, who was already allegedly intoxicated, then decided that he wanted to get a shot from Luther's in downtown Beaufort, according to depositions. On the way to downtown Beaufort, Paul's driving got worse, according to witness statements that said he almost hit the Woods Memorial Bridge. It took two tries to park the boat in downtown Beaufort. So while only Paul and Connor wanted to get shots, the rest of the group stayed behind. Surveillance video at the waterfront park captures the group. You can tell that Paul and Connor's girlfriends look annoyed that they are going to Luther's. According to depositions, they were just tired and wanted to go home at this point. Security cameras capture Paul and Connor entering Luther's at around 12.55 a.m. They sit down for a few minutes and order shots. Paul and Connor then purchase two rounds of shots, one lemon drop and one Jaeger shot each. While Connor said in deposition that Paul almost got into a fight and was throwing chairs while inside Luther's, this is not shown on the video. Paul used his mother Maggie's credit card for the shots. His math does not add up on the tip. While Paul and Connor were at Luther's, the rest of the group waited at Waterfront Park. This footage is heartbreaking to watch. Mallory and her boyfriend Anthony appear to be doing their best to make light out of the situation. You can tell Mallory and Anthony really love each other. She lights up when she looks at him. In the video, they share an inside joke, and they both laugh. These are some of their last moments together. Paul and Connor meet up with a group. Paul's girlfriend looks angry, and they fight. Paul throws his hands up in the air and appears to yell at her. Paul looks drunk and is swaying as he walks. At around 1:17 a.m, the kids loaded to the boat and they leave downtown Beaufort. In the video, you can see just how small a 17-foot boat is. They looked crammed. Once the boat entered Archer's Creek, it only took them seven minutes to travel 1.7 miles. According to witness statements, Paul's behavior and driving became worse at this point. You think you know this river better than me, Paul Murdoch said, according to a witness statement? This is my boat, and I'll be damned if anybody else drives. Everybody in the boat was trying to get Paul into letting Mallory's boyfriend, Anthony Cook, drive the boat, according to depositions, but he refused. Paul started to scream horrible things at his girlfriend, according to a witness statement. As we said before, there was one final argument, but Paul's girlfriend at the time then says, What are you going to do? Hit me like you did all those times before, according to a witness statement. Paul Murdoch pushed, spit on, and slapped his girlfriend in the face, according to multiple depositions. He then headed back to the helm of the boat and accelerated. According to GPS data released from SEDNR, the following times and speeds were recorded in the last seconds of their voyage. 2.20 a.m. and 3 seconds, 25 miles per hour. 2.20 a.m. and 31 seconds, 24 miles per hour. 2.20 a.m. and 33 seconds, 29 miles per hour. To 20 a.m. and 40 seconds, GPS coordinates placed them at the bridge. Paul, Mallory, and Anthony were ejected into the water. Connor and Paul's girlfriend were severely injured. Blood was everywhere and Mallory was gone. Miley, who is Mallory's best friend, was able to brace herself a split second before the crash. The next day, she spoke with SEDNR about what happened during the crash.
2: So Anthony was like all the way over there, like where we had hit, and Paul was in, on like the closest piling to the shore, or like the second closest one to the shore. So like, I think like whenever we, the boat started going again, like I think like he got like, you know, like thrown out then because... I just I don't really know about that part because I wasn't I didn't see any of it, but like he was closer to the shore than Anthony was, and he stayed in the water for like ten minutes, just like holding on to the pile and just screaming Morgan's name, and then Anthony was out there screaming Mallory's name like I couldn't hear anything because Morgan was screaming so loud, so I was like and I was like the first person I checked on was Connor because like he's my boyfriend and like I wanted to make sure he was okay. And so I went and found him and like Mallory was just like nowhere to be seen like it was just like she disappeared. And then Anthony was screaming in the water for Mallory and that's when like I knew like something bad had happened like that Mallory was missing. Uh, Connor had his phone still on him so I was, like, calling 911, and it took us, like, five minutes to, like, regroup ourselves to, like, be able to call, and so it was, like, maybe, like, five or ten minutes before we even called anybody, and, and like, we didn't know where we were, what the bridge was called, so we didn't know, like, what to say, like, you, you know, we didn't know, like, what mm-hmm. bridge to say we were at, or when we really, only thing we knew was that we were in Archer's Creek. Hello?
0: Police fire any Hello? We're in a boat crash on archer street where where about on archer street in archer street the only bridge on archer creek archer street archer creek Archer Archer's creek. creek Archer's creek. creek is it and um then Paul came up and he was just in his underwear, like no pants or anything, so I don't know
2: like when like if he took off his pants before he hit the water or just like, he's really pretty sure he's wearing a belt. So I don't know if like the water, the impact, just he took off his pants, so I don't know. But then um, he came back short and he tried to help Morgan and she was didn't want anything to do with him. She was like, get away from me. She didn't want to talk to him at all. And like, he didn't care that Mallory was missing because she was like upset because she was like, get away from me, like, I'm fine, but Mallory's missing, and all this kind of stuff, and it just didn't register with him, and, like, she's missing, and then...
1: And I'm sorry about this audio. Apparently, in the only recorded interview of the entire investigation file, SCDNR decided to vacuum in the middle of it. So I apologize, it's hard to hear. And he just,
2: like, didn't say anything besides just wanting to call his granddad, just let me call my granddad, and he took my phone... Cause it's only one percent, so that's why I was like hesitant to call nine one one. Cause I was like, it's only one percent. Like I don't know if like it's gonna go through or not. So uh, he took my phone and he called his granddad, like, the first person he called, and just told him to come. And then did you hear the conversation? Mm-mm. Anthony was just like, you know, he was just like belligerent about everything. Like he was just like so upset, and mm, he didn't want to like you know cooperate either. But I mean, that's understandable because it was his girlfriend. He just wanted to stay.
1: While they were waiting for the ambulance to arrive, Paul and Anthony almost got into a fight.
2: Paul came to Connor and like wrapped his blanket around him and I was standing right there next to him and Paul like smiled or something and Anthony saw him smile and he was like, you think this is funny and all this kind of stuff and he like was like about to like go and like fight him because he was that mad because he was like smiling about it. So then they told us, I mean the ambulance and all of them had gotten nearby then and they told us that we needed to go into the ambulance and sit down because it was warm in there and Paul had followed him. but, like, I was just, like, so hot. I just remember, like, I was so hot and I just couldn't, like, breathe. Like, I had the seatbelt on me and, like, I felt like I was going to, like, suffocate because I
1: just, like, I couldn't breathe. Miley, like so many others from that night, described Paul as belligerent and out of control. Paul apparently got into a deputy's face and was so out of control to the point where they had to strap him down in the ambulance and he still was not arrested.
2: And we were just sitting there, and, I mean, Paul was just, like, going on and on and on, and, like, got into several, like, like, officers' faces, and we're, like, just, like, saying, like, because they were trying to get him to calm down and sit down, Mm -hmm. and because they were like, we need to take you to the hospital, and he was just, like, being. And, like, rude about it, just saying. Because it was, like, a, the officer was a man, and there was two of lady EMSs And the lady was trying to be nice and just, like, calm her down at first. And then um he got into the guy's, the officer's face, and was like, you think that you're, like, a bigger man than I am, and all this kind of stuff. And was just, like, I need to, like, get out right now. And then, um... Paul was having this conversation with the officer? The police officer. He was, like, in his
1: face, like, cussing at him. Miley tells investigators something interesting. She says that Paul begged her to use her phone so that he could call his grandfather, former solicitor Randolph Murdoch. For a reminder, Paul's grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather all served as a solicitor over a five-county region from 1920 to 2006. A solicitor is South Carolina's district attorney, an elected official who is considered by many to be the most powerful position in our judicial system. It's interesting that Paul skipped the chain of command in his family and went directly to the most powerful person, even while he was drunk.
0: You said Paul took your phone to call his granddad. Why did he call his granddad? Did he say why? Why, why did he call his dad? Or, or was there... Well,
2: because, like, you know, they're lawyers and stuff, and he wanted him to be there first. He was... Because, I mean, he just called his granddad. because That's what he does in everything. And his was dad right? a lawyer? Yes. And But he didn't want to call you his dad? He want to call his dad. He just wanted to call his granddad. And then, like, we were in the ambulance, and he, wanted, he just kept on going back and forth about calling his dad. He's like, I need to call Big Red. That's what they call him. He's like, I need to call him. And Big Red said, is... Ale his dad. And so he just kept on going back and forth like I need to call him, I need to call him. and he was like, no, 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 I can't call him and all kind of stuck, you know, I think he finally called him.
1: So what Miley says here is that Paul called his grandfather because his family is full of lawyers. And that's what he always does in situations like this. Call his granddad.
0: Years before, the name Alec Murdoch was splashed across every major media outlet. I was a local South Carolina journalist, and I had an instinct that something wasn't right in the Lowcountry. The powerful Murdoch dynasty dominated rural South Carolina for generations. Few dared to publicly utter a harsh word against them. From the newsroom to the courtroom to the kitchen table where we recorded the number one global hit, The Murdoch Murders Podcast, I invite you to learn more about my new book, Blood on Their Hands. A propulsive true crime saga, an empathetic work of investigative journalism, and an excoriation of the good old boy systems that enabled a network of criminals. Click the link in the description to pre-order today. Visit any retailers near you when it releases November 14th, 2023, or visit lunasharkmedia.com book to learn the best way you can stay pesky and stay in the sunlight. New
1: court documents allege that law enforcement officers might have conspired a cover-up in the investigation. The documents were filed by attorneys representing Connor Cook, the young man who was heard in the 911 call. The documents are explosive. They allege that officers from DNR and the Beaver County Sheriff's Office possibly conspired to essentially frame Connor Cook as the driver and intentionally shifted the investigation away from Paul Murdoch. That is a big deal. Most of the alleged conspiracies circled around three officers, Michael Brock and Austin Pritcher of SCDNR and John Keener of the Beaver County Sheriff's Office. All three of the officers have some ties to the Murdoch family. In depositions, attorneys questioned and almost accused those officers of falsifying their reports to favor Paul Murdoch, which would then create confusion about who was driving the boat. In multiple depositions, attorneys played audio from the scene where Mallory Beach's boyfriend, Anthony Cook, was very clear about who was driving the boat. Anthony got angry at Paul while officers were on scene. Anthony Cook told DNR officer Austin Pritchard that Paul was driving. That conversation was picked up on car audio, according to depositions. But Pritchard did not write this in his report. Instead, he wrote that Anthony said he didn't know who was driving. This is very different from what the audio said, according to depositions. A Paris Island officer said in a sworn affidavit that he was there when Anthony Cook told Officer Michael Brock of DNR that he knew Paul was driving the boat and that Paul killed his girlfriend. But Brock did not write that in his report. Instead, he wrote that Anthony flipped out and was yelling at Paul. John Keener of the Buford County Sheriff's Office wrote in his report that it was quote-unquote unclear who was driving the boat, but he admitted in deposition that this was his personal opinion and no one said anything to him that would indicate that Connor may have been driving. One thing that nearly all of the reports and depositions are clear about is that Paul Murdoch appeared grossly intoxicated in the hours after the crash. One Beaver County Sheriff's Office report said that Paul was almost aggressive toward EMS personnel during the ambulance ride to the hospital. Deputy John Keener of the Beaufort County Sheriff's Office testified that Paul was, quote, being belligerent and stupid, end quote, to the point where they had to send a deputy in the ambulance to ride with him. At the hospital, DNR officer Austin Pritchard said that Paul appeared to be intoxicated and was, quote, acting pretty out of control, end quote. He said that he was strapped to a gurney and there was a security officer monitoring him at the hospital. Paul Murdoch was never offered a field sobriety test that night, which was a move highly criticized by the public at the time. Austin Pritcher testified that his superior at DNR, Michael Brock, ordered him to only offer Connor Cook a field sobriety test that night. Pritcher said that he offered Connor Cook a field sobriety test because he was starting to quote-unquote zero in on him as a main suspect. Pritcher wrote in a report that Connor refused to take a field sobriety test. Such a report does not exist for Paul Murdoch, son of the owner of the boat, who was heavily intoxicated, according to multiple police reports. Pritchard said that he was trying to get a statement from Paul Murdoch when Paul's father, Alec Murdoch, and his grandfather, Randolph Murdoch III, walked in and stopped him. Quote, they came in and said, Paul's not saying anything else. And I told him I'm talking to Paul. And they said, no, you're talking to us now. End quote. Pritchard testified that that moment was when, quote, everything clicked in who the Murdochs were, end quote. So about 10 minutes after Paul Murdoch arrived at Beaufort Memorial Hospital on February 24, 2019, Paul's father, Ellick Murdoch, and grandfather, former solicitor Randolph Murdoch, appeared. According to witnesses, Alec Murdoch appeared to be more concerned with orchestrating a plan in the criminal investigation than he was with finding Mallory Beach, who had just gone missing. In fact, a security guard overheard Alec Murdoch on the phone saying, she's gone, don't worry about her. Multiple nurses noted that Alec Murdoch was often looking at the emergency room screen, trying to track down boat crash victims. Several nurses noted that they observed Alec Murdoch moving from room to room a lot, while the other patient's parents stayed with their children. The charge nurse also told a security guard to keep an eye on Alec Murdoch because he was trying to enter other patients' rooms. Specifically, Alec Murdoch was seen multiple times trying to get into Paul's girlfriend's room, the same woman Paul had spit on and slapped moments before the crash. According to witness statements, Alec Murdoch tried to get into her room and was telling the nurse that he had to tell her what to say. While Alec Murdoch was allegedly going from room to room, orchestrating a plan, Paul was restrained in his hospital room. Paul's nurse described him as one of the most arrogant teenagers to ever come through the ER. She said he was the most intoxicated and most belligerent of all of those involved, and a security guard had to stay with Paul because he was so out of control. Family patriarch Randolph Murdoch kept telling Paul to keep his mouth shut, according to a security guard. Another security guard said that Randolph seemed angry at Paul and said his grandson was, quote, as drunk as Cooter Brown, unquote. Remember, Alec Murdoch is a volunteer for the solicitor's office, which means he works with solicitor Duffy Stone, who would later recuse himself from the criminal case against Paul due to conflict of interest. Ellik was also seen multiple times talking to Connor Cook, who broke his jaw in the crash, and telling him that they were going to figure everything out. Nurses also reported seeing Alec Murdoch attempting to talk to Connor Cook on the way to his CAT scan. An ER tech told SEDNR that she overheard Alec Murdoch tell Connor Cook he was handling it and told him not to say anything. Paul's friends told SEDNR that they were afraid of the Murdochs and assumed that they were working on a cover-up, mentioning previous similar incidents. Paul's girlfriend told her nurse that Paul, in his drinking habits, almost killed them in a vehicle accident before all of this happened. She didn't mention details, but said that they were in a truck. Was this another cover-up? Because there does not appear to be any law enforcement records of this crash. Anthony Cook, Mallory's boyfriend, told DNR several days after the accident that Connor was not driving the boat and he said that his cousin was scared because, quote, the Murdochs are out to pin it on him, unquote. But while testimony is one thing, physical evidence is another. Attorneys suggest that several pieces of evidence appear to be missing in this case, including Paul's phone, which was picked up by another officer on scene, according to audio, Paul's pants, which attorneys assume contain his wallet with his fake ID inside, DNA swabs from blood on the boat and corresponding photographs of DNA collection, which could prove where Connor was positioned in the boat at the time of the crash, and an odd audio recording of Anthony Cook telling Michael Brock that Paul Murdoch killed his girlfriend Mallory Beach. SEDNR never sought a warrant to compel the hospital to draw Paul's blood that night, but the hospital did anyways because he was behaving so erratically they thought he might have a head injury. At 4 a.m., his BAC level was about .286 which would mean that he was 3.5 times over the legal limit to drive. Because of the confusion in the initial investigation, it took two months for authorities to charge Paul with three felony counts of voting under the influence. Unlike the vast majority of felony BUI cases, Paul Murdoch never stepped foot in a jail. At the time of his death, he was facing 25 years in prison for the charges. Paul Murdoch was murdered on June 7th, which ended the criminal investigation of the boat crash. However, there is another criminal investigation ongoing in this case. Now, years later, sources are questioning if obstruction of justice took place that night. This obstruction of justice investigation is currently before the statewide grand jury in Columbia, South Carolina, according to Fitznews sources. So one big question remains in the case. Did the Murdoch's and their law enforcement connections conspire to frame Connor Cook and create confusion in the investigation? Stay tuned to the Murdoch Murders podcast and fitsnews.com for the latest updates in the case. Or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Mandy, M-A-N-D-Y, Matney, M-A-T-N-E-Y. And don't forget to leave a five-star review, unless you're going to be nasty and talk about my vocal fry. The Murdoch Murders Podcast is created by me, Mandy Matney, and my fiancé, David Moses.
0: Produced by Luna Shark Productions. (laughs)